Hi, I'm Steve Joel. Welcome to my podcast, 40K Game Changes. Conversations with people who've changed the way we 40K. I did listen to the Jim Bessel episode, and I thought you did a great job with him. The whole thing with this um, podcast is there's an awful lot of negative around, and I feel like with COVID in the world, people are more inclined to jump at things and be a bit negative in their outlook. And so, you know, I, for the most part, just want to be keep things positive and keep things focused on celebrating the achievements of, of people I admire. And that's really it. That's very good. This is episode 14. Today, we're going to ask some pretty personal questions of the man they call the robot. But lots of places I've looked, you're called the robot. You have this nickname of, of the robot. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm not offended at all. I agree. The way I've communicated historically has been extremely analytical, extremely to the point. So it's almost like if you just inputted C++ commands into our communication chat, I would understand you better than normal human conversation, which has a lot of subtlety. For someone who's grown up as socially awkward as Brandon Grant, it's amazing how important his friends have been. Well, credit where credit's due, I would have been content to just play at my local RTT store forever. And it was my friends who said, hey, we're going to Las Vegas. Do you want to come? Right. And they pushed me to do it. This episode is brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Man, I hope you've had a listen to the amazing podcasts available on the network. Grim After Dark with John and Danny. Live on Tuesday nights doing reviews of previews, talking to special guests and so much more. Great guys, and the set they use looks super expensive too. Tune in on Tuesday. Now, on with this show. He is the world's best and best-known guard player. He was an ITC champ in 2018, the winner of the LVO in 2019. He's also won the Bay Area Open a couple of times, the Boise Cup, the SoCal Open, the Broadside Bash, among many others. And he's the owner of the coolest Facebook profile picture anywhere and maybe the coolest photo ever taken of anyone in 40K. Brandon Grant, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. I want to talk through that photo, first of all, that very Bruce Springsteen photograph of you in front of the American flag with your arms raised. I'm assuming immediately after victory at the LVO. How did that photo come about? Uh, accidentally. <laughs> so uh, one of the frontline staff actually snapped that of me when I wasn't looking, and it was immediately after I was declared winner of the LVO 2019. So it's a, I don't know, intimate moment or unexpected moment. It's not one where I'm posing for the camera. So I think that makes it all the better. It really does, and it looks. that's exactly what it looks like. It doesn't look like a posed shot. It just looks like absolute maybe relief I don't know if it's joy on that face a mixture of joy and just relief to have got all the way through to where you got to is that the emotion you're feeling in that moment I think so uh, you've done three days straight of 40k games at that point you've been on your feet that whole time you've been on mentally that whole time uh, you've been trying to keep the stress level enough so that when you go home to the to hotel room that night you can actually fall asleep for a reasonable amount of time yeah. So it is a sense of relief, but also uh, in that moment, you feel uh, a sense of achievement and accomplishment that is very difficult to replicate. So you only, if you're lucky, feel that maybe once or twice in your whole life. So yeah, all of that is in that photo. And I didn't do the Photoshop, the American flag behind me. 
that was also the frontline team who did that. It's the coolest photo. As soon as you see it, that's just such a great shot. Anyway, that's enough on the photo. This this is about you and, and your, your hobby life. Let's get into things right back at the beginning. I love the story of how you ended up playing Tau as your first army in 40K. Can you talk us through that? Sure. So it goes back to how I got into 40K in the first place because they were my first army. Uh, got, uh, so to, to back up, I'd gone to a new high school district and didn't know very many people. I ended up meeting this other guy who was 13 named uh, Wes at the time. And he played Black Templars and played this game called 40K and was explaining it to me. And it sounded very cool to me, um, being this introverted, um, socially like inept nerd who's like, <laughs> wow, this game sounds amazing. Yeah. I should play. So he and his gaming buddies didn't have anyone who played Tau because they were coming out and they didn't want me to play the same army as anyone else. Neither did I. And I'm thinking, oh, this army has lots of guns. That's really cool. So I'll play those. And I ended up playing them through third and fourth and into fifth edition a little bit. Yeah, you, you strike me as someone who, who just likes to get things right. And I, I know from previous interviews, I've heard that it didn't go well for the first little while. But you stuck with Tau rather than doing what a lot of us would do and going, man, Tau don't suit me or I can't play this army or I'm not having a good time. You're the kind of person that analyzes and want to just figure it out so you stuck with them for for a while yes and even though they weren't very good in third edition at all in fourth edition i was going on to online forums that were popular at the time like tau online um to figure out okay how can i actually win with this army and eventually figured them out i feel like the way you get you got into your army is different to the way most people get into their army which is you go into a store you see imagery that you like and you you go with it you kind of got lumbered with an army in a way and just then ended up making it work after a lot of a lot of effort. I suppose you're right that way. I actually didn't even know Games Workshop had stores for years. Um, it was just this high school group who played that got me into it. And it, I didn't play in any tournaments or stores for years. It was just local garages of friends. And at that time where you've got people sort of playing, you're, you're getting into a playing group, and this is your your uh, way of socialising, did you keep going with 40K or did you do what a lot of people do and kind of stay with it for a while but then have a break and come back? Um, I did have a bit of a break, I think, uh, in college. Um, with college, my schedule turned into a very socially isolated one because I was focused on studies. And then my entertainment when I'd come home was mostly play on the computer for a while and go to sleep. So during that time, sure, I still played 40K now and then. But again, still very casually, didn't go to events, um, played with just a couple of other people at that point as my gaming group slowly disintegrated. So that was probably, I was still fairly okay and getting better, but not taking the game as seriously as I did before or after. Right. It sounds like uh, from th through your school years and outside of 40K that you're a, an analytical type person in your studies. Were you always a math, math uh, sorry, a math whiz? Uh, is, is that an area of focus academically? Uh, it has to be because of my chosen career path, with, which is engineering. Right. A lot of engineering is... I want to know what this will do before I build it and then can use math or other modeling tools to try and predict what will happen, even if most of the time I'm not quite right. 
uh, the first time, <laughs> but at least get closer than I would have been if I hadn't used those tools. Right. Um, but yeah, from the very beginning, I was someone who, um, if you're familiar with RPG elements, I feel like I put all of my stat points into analytical thinking and my charisma and wisdom scores were dump stats. <laughs> so what a great way so, of socially, at just figuring out how to, to interact with people has been one of my greatest challenges, but figuring out how to stack blocks right to make a tall tower when you're two or three years old. Sure, I could do that from a very early age. Right. So um, the way I put it is, uh, was a late talker, which is apparently a thing where children don't have the social skills innately in them to talk at the same time as the other kids would. And it's more common with boys. But I think I was three, three and a half years old by the time I finally started talking. Um, and with a lot of kids, based on what I know, that can easily label them as like special ed or special needs where it's like, oh, no, you can't talk normally. But in my case, when I started talking, it was in full sentences. I was off to the races. It's right. just yeah. Um, that's why I'd say, yeah, my my socializing side, huge struggle for me throughout my whole childhood. But analytical side. Um, I don't know how else to put it, but it's always been one of my strengths. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting though. I'd never heard that before, but it's it's you and I are complete opposites in that way. In that I was speaking in full sentences by the time I was about a year and a half old, so I was always destined for this job that I do, I guess. But math has always been a bit of a struggle. Analyzing and numbers and being able to think in a calculating way has always been a bit of a struggle. And yet we both ended up in this hobby. You're doing obviously much better at it, but. It, isn't that one of the great things about 40k that, and and probably other tabletop games, but this is the one we do that you can have people who are socially opposites or the way they think opposites or just just different walks of life, and we all end up across the tabletop and sharing this thing and having a good time. I love that about this game. I would agree. I think that's one of the things that helped me is 40k because in order to play a game effectively you have to be able to communicate what's happening effectively and have both players agree yeah. that that's what's happened. So just playing 40K with friends or people at a game store has definitely been a plus for me. Yeah. Listen, the other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, now seems like a good enough time to bring it up. Lots of places I've looked and lots of um, podcasts I've listened to and I've, I've been a fan of yours for a while. I listen to Chapter Tactics because I love your contribution to it. And maybe because of that fact that you contribute something that I can't think of myself, you bring that analysis and that that helping me with that side of it. But lots of places I've looked, you're called the robot. You have this nickname of, of the robot. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm not offended at all. I agree. Um, the way I've communicated historically has been extremely analytical, extremely to the point, sometimes extremely literal. Um, so it's almost like if you just inputted C++ commands into our communication chat, I would understand you better than normal human conversation, which has a lot of subtlety. Yeah. So the nickname is appropriate, and I'm not offended by it. I th I'm celebrating it as a strength. But I also understand my own weaknesses, and I've definitely had a lot of help and practice with dealing with that. So... Here we are today communicating, and I don't think I'm doing half bad. I'm never <laughs> going to be as good as you are. Uh, you have a voice made for radio <laughs> and amazing communication skills, but at least I'm not going to inadvertently offend people as much. 
but the, the flip side of it is that I suck at 40K. And, and probably because one of the reasons, one of the things I struggle with is just that ability to coolly remove myself from the situation to analyze and make decisions. I will know what I need to do and then have a rush of blood to the head and charge in <laughs> and then lose the game. And it's just, I don't know why I do it. And I, you know, that's something that I'll have to analyze about myself. But it does seem like even in life, you're that kind of guy. When you, when you bought a car, I remember seeing you bought this car and you did a lot of due diligence on the car. Some of us just go out and go, well, I like that one. I've heard good things. I'll buy that now. You kind of put a lot of preparation into every, every decision, it feels like even outside of 40k is that a fair comment or not not every decision because it'll take too much time to figure out exactly the ideal loaf of bread to buy in the store every time (laughs) yeah true but um if it's important to me and i do want to find the ideal loaf of bread in the grocery store then i will um so especially for a car or a house or maybe an investment portfolio something that is going to have ramifications for years and is a big, important decision. Sure. I'll research the heck out of it. Yeah. But, um, if it's just which orange do I want to pick out from the produce section, then no, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Well, that's fair. Uh, that seems thoroughly reasonable. Um, but in its way, even then there's a bit of analysis. You've worked out that this is too much time to invest in that decision. So you've started playing, you've got a group of friends, they're already into it. Uh, at that time, a lot of people I speak to in this podcast and in previous podcasts, a lot of people uh, have someone they look up to, but then they are aware of G-Dub stores. And I wonder if this is the same situation for you, given that you you just had that group of friends and that was your whole 40K world. Were there players you knew about and looked up to and wanted to emulate in those early years of playing, or was that not it for you? No, I was totally isolated from competitive 40K through all of the 2000s and until i went to lvo 2014 uh, i'd never been to an itc event so before that it was just there was a friendly local gaming store that wasn't a gw store that would host 40k events rtt level and i would go there and they'd have six to ten tables set up and we'd play three rounds and call it and um yeah there were people at that store or among my friends where i thought wow these guys are really good um, who would be local terrors, but nobody nationally. I was just playing locally and having yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the impression I get from it. So uh, I have down here your first open event is 2015. You went 5-1 and one and finished 12th. Is that right? Is that, that was it. That's the first big it, one you went to? It was the LVO 2015 then. I misspoke. Okay. But you went 5-1 so, and one and finished 12th? Yes, at the LVO, and that's your first big tournament. Wow, I didn't realize it was an LVO. Um, and so what army did you play at that event? Uh, it was an Imperial Guard army with Dark Angels characters. And you lost to Tau, is that right? No, I lost to Nick Nanavati. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So Nick was my round five opponent, and he played a very good game of 40K. I was thoroughly impressed with how good he was at analyzing the table and figuring out what he needed to do to win. And um, he was the first person who'd played my army, which was highly unusual at the time. I don't think I'd ever seen anyone else play it um, because it was abusing the power field mechanic, which was a three inch range around a character with a four plus invul for friend or foe. And I would just jam that character into a blob of conscripts, but also put them in range of layman rust tanks. 
So I had Lehman Rust tanks that were twice as tough to take take down, and yeah. then blobs of fearless conscripts who normally would all run away, but now they don't because Dark Angels are fearless with their inner circle characters. It was just a stupid, ridiculously tough block to get through, and people would hurl themselves at this army, and it would they would just get obliterated because that's what the army was designed to do. Yeah. And then Nick looked at it and said, I'm not hurling myself into that, and he just played the, the mission and won. Yeah, and I, I feel like, what you did then is what he and Siegler and Lennon and those guys are famous for doing now, which is looking through the book or the books and finding the broken equation, not just the model, but the thing that makes it what it is, and then doing that until somebody FAQs it. So that was kind of your, I don't want to say you were a pioneer in that style, but you figured out a way to win games using an equation that other people hadn't got to yet. No, it's true. And this was at a time when blast weapons were a thing, so people weren't running it because they were afraid that a, a small blast template getting 15 hits was a bad idea. Right. I really hate to interrupt. We're a little under halfway through a conversation with Brandon Grant. In a moment, we'll talk through that LVO final in 2019, but for right now, I wanted to let you know 40K Game Changers is on Facebook. If you want links to episodes as they come out and updates on what's coming up and who we're going to be talking to, go give us a follow. Okay, that's the short play. Now on with the show. Was being a competitive player something you just fell into because the group that you're playing with happened to be good? Or was it something you'd consciously got to a point and went, you know what, I think I can be good at this, and then you went out seeking tournaments to play it? Well, credit where credit's due... I would have been content to just play at my local RTT store forever. And it was my friends who said, hey, we're going to Las Vegas. Do you want to come? Right. And they pushed me to do it because I didn't see the reason to go to larger events. My impression was less than positive for some of these larger events because of the number of rules changes that were necessary to make competitive work. So it still didn't feel very balanced at the time. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know. I just never thought of doing it before my friends pushed me to do it. And then when you did it, and <laughs> coming 12, which I'm still blown away, I, I obviously have done some research here and I found this tournament in 2015 where you went 5-1 and one and you finished 12th. I had no idea that was at an LVO. So now I'm even more impressed. And having that success at an event like that, that must have given you a taste for, okay, I want more of this. That was the beginning of competitive Brandon because – the way Nick played, his, um, the way he played taught me a way to play 40K that I hadn't seen before. Right. And it, it just, it, it was a catalyst for a revolutionary change in how I played because it was so focused on winning the mission and not on um, uh, demolishing each other's armies. Yeah. So, so going yeah. back to my f question from earlier, he would be the first person probably that was 40K famous that you were able to go, okay, that's what I want to emulate. He's the guy I'll, I'm looking up to now. Yes. Yeah. Um, and not a bad not, not a bad player to, to be the only guy you lose to at a big tournament in your first tournament. Um, so your LVO runner-up then in 2017, you went, is that right, all the way to the final? Yes, uh, I got to the final and lost by one point. Yeah. Then you took the title in 2019. There's a saying in sports that you have to lose a final to win a final. Do you think that's true? Do you think that losing in 2017, losing is so harsh. There were hundreds of players that didn't win that tournament. But do you think that getting all the way to the final and not winning it helped you in 2019? I think so. Part of the reason is that 
if you haven't been in a high pressure situation like that before, Mm. it's much harder to remain focused and calm, which is what you need to if you're going to play your best. So going through an LVO final and being on camera and losing definitely is great practice to going to an LVO final and winning. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of it. As I mentioned before, that ability to just almost detach yourself and look at the situation and not be too emotionally invested, uh, which must be a very, very difficult thing to do. You referenced getting enough sleep and all of those things that go through to that that big final moment, which I want to cut to now in 2019, going into that final round in 2019. Where was your head at? How were you feeling? Uh, I was incredibly focused on each and every game and nothing past that. Right. So I think that's what's required if you're going to play your best is I can't be thinking about uh, who my next opponent is per se. Um, I can't be thinking about how various matchups might play out. Um, For me, I'm very good at focusing on one thing to the exclusion of everything else. And so that's what I did. Mm. I focused on each game. And while I was playing that game, even the um, casters like Jeff Robinson and Frankie Giampapa were both commenting like with my game with Sean Naden, for example, neither one of us was acknowledging them. They were asking us questions. I don't think either one of us heard. So (laughs) that was the level of focus we both had in that game because we both knew, oh, this other guy, he knows what's up. We need to really focus on how to play this game. Yeah. It's interesting. I uh, have the chance in my day job to interview sports people quite often. And that's something I ask them a lot is when you've got the crowd around you and they're, they're, you've got that instantaneous feedback, are you aware of it? And a lot of the top people uh, say no. They're so focused on, on the game and zoned into the event that's happening and the move they have to do and, and what they have to be achieving that they actually don't even hear the cheering or the, or the feedback they're getting from the crowd. So it was very similar for you in that moment. Yes, there were quite a few times where um, the, there was even a crowd gathering in the finals. I didn't even notice. Have you watched the the streams or watched the watched the video of the games that you've played? I, I have, and um, it was interesting to see the disconnect between the casters trying to interpret what we were doing and what was happening on the table. So that right. we were making moves, and the casters were wondering aloud, "Why did they do that?" Yeah. So it was difficult for not only the casters but I think the audience to figure out what was happening, especially in the final game. Yeah, well, that's it. And 40K is a complicated game, right? And if you're, uh, you're watching people who, are play, who, who play at a level so far above you that it is difficult to see because you're working two or three moves ahead, or two or three turns ahead. It's not even two to three turns. It's the whole game. Right. So especially the final game, um, I was so familiar with my army at that time, it was easy for me to see how the turns would play out instinctively. So I already knew how the game would end and what the aim, the the end point of the game would look like and tried to shift what that end point would be to my advantage before we even started the game. Right. See, I, I hear people speak like that and I still can't get my head around it. It's like chess. People know uh, they can see the whole game mapped out in front of them. And I'm uh, I'm still at the level where I'm reacting to the thing the other guy just did. Uh, well, and, and let's keep it simple. Uh, just keep it very high level. It's um, my final game was the Knight Castellan guard list with vehicles and the Castellan plus, what is it, six, no, 80 guardsmen and nine Bulgrins. And then it was versus the Eldar Planespan list with two units of scatter laser jet bikes and assorted infantry and characters in support. So the 
flyers are all either minus two to be hit natively or minus one to be hit, but can be lightning reflexed to minus two yeah. or lightning reflex to minus three. So the army is designed to take on the Castellan list and b- destroy all of the vehicles over the course of three turns. So if you're familiar with what the list is supposed to do, you'll understand, oh, that's exactly what it's going to do. If I exchange fire with these flying vehicles with my vehicles, all of my vehicles will die and there will still be flyers on the board. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, the scatter laser bikes are there to pick up all the infantry and make sure that I can't score any more objectives. So, yeah, I'm already looking at the end game. The end game is I have no models left right. by default. So looking at the, so the, the tweak came in realizing, oh, I'm going to be tabled if I don't play differently. So acknowledging that I've already lost the, the shooting war and realizing, OK, how can I lose as slowly as possible? And the answer was, well, I'm always going to lose the vehicles. The vehicles are toast. But maybe I can keep the infantry alive. And even though he'll have plenty of stuff, it'll be all flyers and he can't score objectives with flyers. So I'll win on points. Right. And that's exactly what ended up happening is I focused the scatter laser bikes down whenever I could see them. And then without them, he didn't have the number of shots to take out 80 guardsmen. And a handful of guardsmen on every objective on the end of the game was enough to seal it. I feel like this is the ultimate ending to the lesson that Nick Nanavati taught you in 2015, which is play the mission. Yes, exactly. So even though my opponent outclasses me in every level, it's okay, I've already lost, but how can I lose slower and maybe win anyway? (laughs) I love that. I'm going to take that away from this as being my big lesson in in 40K. I have this awful thing, and I don't think I'm alone, where I will look at that situation, decide I've already lost, and then just give up and throw things away and, and tilt. Whereas I've already lost, how can I lose as slowly as possible? may end up winning you the game is such a great lesson to take out of this. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. Now, I love also that in my research it showed how super supportive your family is of pretty much everything you do. And it looks like your aunties are the first to comment on anything that you post on Facebook. <laughs> it, it's great to have supportive people in your life, even about this nerd hobby that you do. Oh, yeah. Um, they've known me since forever, so they know that I'm a nerd and they love me anyway. <laughs> so... Thank goodness I've got them in my life. Are you the only nerd? Are there other nerds in the family? Do you have nerd background or is this, are you, are you blazing the trail? You have to go to at least first cousin before you'll find too many nerdy people in my family. (laughs) But there's plenty of engineers in my family. Right. um, Particularly my dad's side back East, but my mom's side as well. Is 40K something people outside of the hobby know about you? So you're, you're people at your work or other people in engineering. Do they know you're a 40K guy? Yeah, I'm happy to share it. it. It always feels weird for me to talk about it. We had we have had people at our house recently redoing some windows and they saw my collection of 40K and so then the questions begin. And you always feel like you're really branding yourself as a certain type of person to folks outside the hobby. More than happy to talk about it inside the hobby and even reference it on my radio job. But But then talking one-on-one with someone who just has no idea what 40K is and trying to represent the hobby in a positive way. Does that provide a challenge for you, or are you, you're all good with it? It's far easier for me now because I've accepted that I'm socially awkward, <laughs> and <laughs> if other people think I'm socially awkward, that's par for the course. So explaining some weird hobby to people who ask about it, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, as much as we focus on the nerd side, and we've probably done that too much, but then I guess that's what this podcast is, there are other things going on too, right? You, you enjoy fitness. 
uh, and you you have this whole other side of your life. Yeah, and by necessity, the fitness side is if I didn't get out of the house and run around or lift weights, then mentally I'm just not there. Right. Um, my wife calls me this this um, like a fine-tuned sports car. Right. Where if everything's running normally, super high performance. But if a grain of sand gets in the engine block, it all falls apart. Yeah. So, th- so that's how I feel with the fitness side of things. Is like if I'm not eating right or sleeping right or working out, then um, I'm not anywhere near 100. percent And it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the 40k community kind of has a certain reputation around fitness, and it's not always ideal. But you do find a lot of the top players have other stuff going on in their lives, a balance, if you like, where there is some physical fitness involved, but also, as you say, things like eating right and, and having other interests, which kind of keep their minds away from 40K some of the time. Is that fair, do you think, as well, that that to do as well as you have been doing, you need balance and you need other stuff? Uh, you definitely need ways to relax and um be not intense for a while mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you need a good night's sleep and you need to be physically fit enough so that if you go nine rounds at an event, your back isn't giving out, yeah. your feet aren't giving out, you're not uh, bleary eyed and hung over. Um, so you can play as well as you possibly can. And that's the truth of some of these high end events is when you're going that many rounds it's an endurance test as well. It's not an Ironman by any means or a marathon, but it's if you're not some minimum level of fitness, by the time you get to the end, when you really need to be putting in that 100% mental effort, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, totally fair. And there are the guys like um, Stephen at Vanguard Tactics, who's, who's got a very similar philosophy, you know, about, about that whole side of it, physical fitness and things. Uh, I want to talk about your team, Relentless D, Michael Snyder, uh, Keith Berry, Sean Sharp, Aaron uh, Hayden, all guys with some great results to their name. How good is it to have players like that to practice with? How much does that help you? It's essential, and I'm glad you brought up those players. Uh, Particularly Michael Snyder has been with me since almost the beginning of my 40K career. And um, I guess career is probably the wrong word, but... Uh, having someone who has different strengths than you, who can play at your level and beyond, who can challenge you in ways that you didn't expect, and you can play ideas off of each other is huge. So at the finals that I was in, um, I actually ended up playing Michael, and we had very similar lists because we'd been bouncing ideas off of each other. And we had a great game. The only thing it came down to and this is, I guess, foreshadowing in this episode, is that uh, Michael had never been to an LVO finals before. And he and I both knew whoever went first would have a big advantage. He went first, and his opening move was to advance his unit of conscripts, and he rolled a six, and he advanced them the full 12 inches directly towards me to hold the objective in the center of the table. And then at the end of his movement phase, he realized what I had already realized, which was, that was a terrible mistake and all the conscripts were killed on my turn. And that one mistake of getting so overexcited and just pushing his models forward without realizing what he was doing cost him the game. Yeah. So yeah, foreshadowing with it helps if you've lost a finals before so that you can go on and win one. But other than that, I think he easily could have won the whole thing as well. So credit where credit's due. 
had some very good teammates that year, and they helped me a lot, and they continue to help me. Now, did I see Michael's name third? And he came third in the LVO. Was it 2019? Yes, he was third place. Yeah, okay. So you guys are both right at the top there. That must feel good to have to be on the podium with someone you know so well. It's true. However, Michael in particular has moved on to Star Wars Legion. Okay. And to toot his horn, he got second place in a tabletop simulator tournament over COVID in Star Wars Legion. Yeah. Which is crazy. And he did it with an army that wasn't meta at the time. Is now so is he a is he a, an intuitive player or is he like you an analytical guy? He's very good with the movement phase. So he will see things with what you can do with movement that are very difficult for me to figure out independently and be able to pull off ridiculous shenanigans. <laughs> Whereas okay. I'm the one who just does the base calculations and says, these units in this combination will work, and here's why. Right. Uh, was Now, uh, did I see Pablo's name on the Relentless D list as well? Is Pablo a, a teammate of yours, or was he there before you got there? He was for a while but after what happened with his podcast and breakup with frontline he's currently taking a break from 40k yeah so i'm not sure if or when he'll return okay so that was my way of getting into chapter tactics which you you, so you got into podcasting i'm guessing via pablo into chapter tactics was that your first foray into podcasting or did you do other stuff i think that was my first yeah i'm not even sure how i started at this point it's been so long yeah i think it was um possibly winning the bay area open which was the first gt level event above that i won um and i won it again with an off meta army at the time so i think that was what pablo was excited to talk about on his show was people didn't think this army could win you won with it tell us how you did it so give give dark angels everywhere hope (laughs) uh, was kind of what he wanted to do so it worked and is the Bay Area open? Is that the one with the belt of Russ? Is the yes, yeah. that's the one. There, there's the, there are other great photos of you online wearing the belt of Russ, and uh, claiming victory. Did you you won that a couple of years in a row, right? Two years in a row at Bay Area, and two in a, years in a row at SoCal. Okay, and so uh, getting into podcasting, it was first just being interviewed by podcasters about your great results, and I know there are a lot of interviews post LVO. Uh, but then you kind of became a regular guest on Chapter Tactics. Is this something that you're going to continue with now? Are you sticking around in the in the podcasting biz? I'm not really thinking of making my own podcast at any point. I really don't have the time. I'm sure, as you know, there's so much work that goes into creating good content. Yeah. And just showing up and talking about a subject really doesn't take that much work. It's fun. And hopefully people get something from it. But... Um, in the future, I'm not sure where podcasting will take me. Right. Um, Chapter Tactics has actually hired the wonderful team at Maggie Carp Used Fly, and they seem to be doing a wonderful job. And um, I'm not sure how often I'll be a guest or be asked to be a guest because they seem to be handling it. They're great. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole different, it's a different kettle of fish, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I miss having Brandon Grant on it, though. I will say that. Um, I've heard you say often on for a while now that you're starting a sister's army. Are they coming out to tournaments this year? Have they already been at tournaments? Have I missed the sisters' debut? Um, I actually won a tournament with them. So, oh, wait. I did see that not very long ago. That's right. So just before the codex dropped for the latest one, um, I did manage to take a very similar list to what Jack Harpster was doing and won the event with it. Okay. 
So, the, so is it sisters now for you for the next little while? Are you a guy that can play two armies at different tournaments depending on what the missions are, or will you focus entirely on the sisters and, and really get those perfected over the next little while? I think my plan is that until Guard get a Codex update that brings them into line with other Ninth Ed armies, I'm sticking with sisters, and I like them as a challenge for myself because they're much more melee-focused than mm. I'm used to because I went from Tau to Guard to sisters, um, with Dark Angels in the middle. So that's the kind of stuff that people like Michael Snyder were already so good at, which was figuring out how to move models, especially during charges and pylons, yeah. to get the most effect out of your army. And I feel like it's teaching me quite a bit on that front the hard way. Um, <laughs> but combining a Sisters and Guard Force together eventually would be really cool. But we shall see. Yeah. Well, and so that brings me to the next question before I let you go completely, which is, uh, this isn't a tactics podcast, but I would feel remiss if I didn't at least ask you, what has to happen for Guard to be competitive? What are you hoping for in the Codex? I'm hoping that uh, Guard get more penalties to enemy armies that dive in on them in melee, as opposed to it just being a, well, all you have to do is tie up everything and you win. Mm. Um, so back in 8th edition for example Bulgrins with their strength 7 AP 1 2 damage swings were a reasonable bully unit but there are so many worse weapons now that that stat line is actually pretty pedestrian Yeah. Um, so especially with the change to storm shields where you now have a 2 up armor or a 1 up armor save uh, while you have one Bulgrins can't actually hurt terminators with storm shields at all Yeah. so I would say I would love it if Bulgrins had a two-handed weapon equivalent that made them higher AP and more damage. Um, that might be a fix, but for now, uh, my fix would be allying in some sort of Bloody Rose detachment with them and seeing what happens. Otherwise, um, vehicles across the board are kind of in a bad spot in ninth right now, especially yeah. with the new Dark Lance update and the new Admech Laz Cannon update, where they're three plus d3 damage and vehicles basically don't get a save against those weapons yeah so there has to be some redeeming quality for vehicles or an increase in toughness for vehicles against weapons designed to kill vehicles because right now it's just so cost effective to pull vehicles off the table and that's kind of guards bread and butter is infantry and vehicles mm. so I don't know. Um, I've made some suggestions, but if you have vehicles that don't just get removed very easily and you have uh, some deterrent to enemy melee units diving in on you, then I think guard can be in a good place again. Maybe a uh, an equivalent to the knight's ability to rotate shields or something like that to at least give vehicles a chance. I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm my most regular opponent is an admec player. And so now my Redemptors are back on the shelf. I loved having my Redemptors as part of my Space Wolf army, but there's just no point taking them against Admet because they they last a minute. They charge up the field and then blow up. That's it. Um, so what are your plans now? What's the next big thing for you uh, within the hobby? Well, the new Sisters release has me hobbying like crazy to get the new models up and running. Yeah. And um, I can't wait to try them out. My next event will be in late august actually so that gives me some time um so yeah my plan is continue modeling my sisters get that army up and running with the new codex um try and do some theory crafting in the meantime 
And what's ha- helped me a lot, actually, is I went on the um, Sister Act podcast, and their Discord has been super helpful. So plugging them for great tips on how to play competitive sisters. Sister Act podcast and their Discord is, is what we're plugging. Great. Okay. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for your time. I, I've got to say, from where you said you started, which is talking late and being awkward socially, look how far you've come and that I am just, I'm a fan of what you contribute on podcasts uh, and, and also the way you play the game. And I, I just, I appreciate what you do and how you do it. And, and I thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thank you too, Steve. I really appreciate you having me on and I hope the content here has been helpful. My sincere thanks to Brandon Grant for his time. If you want to hear more from this series, go to 40kgamechangers.com for conversations with Winter's SEO, Rick Priestley, and Chapter Master Valrak, among others. Also, give some of the other shows on the Frontline Gaming Network a listen. I think you'll like Danny and John on Grim After Dark. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it every single time. I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, I'm Steve Joel, and this has been 40K Game Changers. <laughs>